Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi there, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, we're on board the brand new Silver Sea Silver Nova, sailing between Fort Lauderdale and Cozumel in Mexico. First, I'll sit down on this 15th anniversary of the Miracle of the Hudson and U.S. Air Flight 1549 with legendary pilot Sully Sullenberger. Not just to talk about that flight, but about air safety in general. Then, We'll stay on board the ship and talk about the cruise industry itself with Jason Liberty, CEO of the Royal Caribbean Group, and Barbara Muckerman, president of Silver Sea Cruises. And then to look for hopefully a new definition of luxury and travel itself with Clara Glavcheska, the travel editor for Town & Country magazine. She has a few things to say. But first up, Captain Sully Sullenberger. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Captain Sully Sullenberger. Captain, welcome. Thank you, Peter. And again, apologies for my voice, but but it's important that we uh, that we talk. And in fact, when I think about this, 15 years has flown by. January 15th, 2009, uh, a, a day I will remember for a long time. We all sort of remember where we were and what we were doing uh but at the same time it seems either it was a million years ago or it was yesterday i'm sure you have the same feelings yeah i mean it's it's something that we think about if not every day we get reminders often uh of of it and fortunately it turned out to be a good news event at a time when we all needed it Uh, so i don't mind at all being reminded about something that when we worked together, we could save every life that day. And of course, uh, we continue to talk about Flight 1549 in terms of the lessons that were learned and hopefully the lessons that were applied. When you think about that, you know, you have become a, a major advocate of airline safety. I'm sure you've been busy this week alone talking about the Alaskan Airlines flight, but the good news, I suppose is that we continue to celebrate the 30 safest years in aviation safety since aviation began, at least commercial aviation, uh, but there are still problems. Yeah, I mean, what we've done in in improving air safety has been remarkable. In fact, I think for many of us 30 or 40 years ago, we would have not thought it possible to go a dozen years in this country without an airline crash. And, And we've made it ultra safe. But we shouldn't rest on our laurels. We need to remember that we need to keep on working. And that's what we owe everyone who flies, passengers and crew alike, to continue to learn and improve safety based upon not just accidents, but incidents. You know, I'm reminded of three crashes. Uh, Of course, the American Airlines crash in November of 2001 in Rockaway Bay when the the tail fell off uh, right after takeoff. Then there was the Comair flight in Lexington. And then a, a, a story that I covered actually with your co-pilot from 1549, Jeffrey Skiles, the, the crash of Colgan Air near Buffalo back in 2009. Yeah, that was uh, just you know, a few weeks after our flight. And, and I think they were bookends, you know, something that went right and something that went wrong. And uh I'm glad you mentioned our first officer, now Captain Jeff Skiles. He's younger than I am. He's still working at American Airlines. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and he was also involved uh, with the uh, the aftermath of the Colgan Air 3407 and the, and the loss of 50 lives. 49 on the airplane, one person whose house was struck by the wreckage. Um, I, I, I've worked closely with Jeff and with the Buffalo families to try to improve aviation safety, and I think it was largely through their efforts that Congress passed and, the, and uh, President Obama signed the 2010 Aviation Safety Act that has done so much uh, in six important areas to improve pilot experience, pilot training, pilot records, uh, crew duty times. We still have a lot of work to do, though. We're not done yet. Well, you know, you talk about the, the Colgan air crash and the, and, the, and the legislation that was passed. Uh, it really dealt with crew training number of hours before you could sit in the left seat. Uh, and at the same time, we still have a pilot shortage in this country. Well, you know, there, 
there is a great tension as always in, in aviation as in every industry between what's expedient and what's cheapest and what's best. And I, I've known for many years and in all my keynote talks, I always talk about how important it is for uh, those in charge, uh, everyone who's leading any organization to understand that there is a strong business case for quality and safety in every endeavor, whether it's in business, in healthcare, in aviation, or in medicine, uh, that getting it right the first time is always cheaper than getting it wrong and have to try to fix it after the fact. Uh, and then when lives are lost, there's no remedy for that. Well, of course, that calls into, into focus the, the culture of safety and the relationship between federal regulators and manufacturers and the airlines themselves. Exactly. And it's important that regulators not be captured by industry, which we've seen happen too much in this country in a variety of domains. I'm, I'm encouraged that after Flight 1549, since Jeff and I had a, a greater voice to talk about these things, we have used that voice for good. In fact, we, we felt an obligation to do so. We felt that we owed it to our colleagues still working who don't have as great a voice as we, and that to not use this voice, to just walk into the sunset and, and walk away without trying to move the needle in the right direction would be a dereliction of duty. And we just couldn't do that. So that was, those efforts continue. We've testified before congressional committees many times, given interviews like this, to remind people that in spite of how routine and commonplace air travel has become, we shouldn't take it for granted because it's really an amazing thing, a, a wondrous thing to do, to push a tube filled with people through the upper atmosphere, you know, seven or eight miles above the earth at 80% of the speed of sound in a hostile environment with outside air pressure one quarter that at the surface and outside temperatures to minus 70. And we must return that, that tube filled with people to the surface safely every time in this country alone. 28,000 times a day, 10.2 million times a year. And to think that so many of us are concerned with this weather and now we get good Wi-Fi on the plane. Right. I mean, it's, um, and so my, my advice to everyone who flies is to do what my family and I do is um, pay attention to the flight attendants demonstration. Know where the exits are, how they operate, if they're ahead of you and, or behind you, how many rows. Uh, keep your seatbelt fastened during the flight. That's the single most important thing that you can do to, to keep yourself safe. And that's a matter of personal responsibility. So, you know, when we talked about the 737 MAX and we talk about the, the, the two crashes in Ethiopia and one in Indonesia, what came into, into focus is something that I think you and I have known about for quite some time, but it became on, it became very quickly on Congress's radar that manufacturers like Boeing had been allowed to certify their own planes as safe for decades. And uh, so, and thankfully, that process is now being uh, being mitigated. Yeah, and, and that's as it should be. Um, the FAA has an obligation to ensure that Boeing and everyone else in the industry adheres to the standards and practices and the requirements of the federal aviation regulations. And that's something that, that we owe everyone who flies. And of course, when we talk about the continuing investigation of the current 737 MAX 9, the investigation now is taking a turn, as I thought it would, going back to the assembly line at Boeing and who was inspecting the planes. Uh, how thorough the inspection was, not just of Boeing, but of their subcontractors, 
And as they're finding more cases of either missing or loose bolts, it's entirely possible that the FAA Emergency Airworthiness Directive, which effectively grounded 171 planes, may continue. And it's also important to note that there have been a number of whistleblower reports uh, about issues with the manufacture of these parts, not just at Boeing, but at their many um, outsourced suppliers that are very concerning about certifications of parts meeting specifications that might have been falsified, for example. So it's important that the investigations continue in every area. I I think the, uh, the FAA will have to go back to the drawing board, literally, when these parts were first designed, you know, whether it was on graph paper or on a computer-aided design screen, uh, and the specifications were, were set, you know, did they meet FAA standards? And if they did and they still failed, were the FAA standards sufficient? Exactly. And, of course, it's the chain of custody and staffing issues. You know, one of the reasons why we had something called an FAA-designated inspector paid by the manufacturer was that the FAA didn't have the staff or the budget to perform those inspections. Now that they're required to do it, they're still saddled with budgetary and staffing problems, right? Yes, and also it's important that the the FAA employees who are now going to be doing the inspections have the technological expertise, knowledge, and experience to be able to effectively do that. I'm going to give you a, a situation which you may be aware of, and that is when it comes to maintenance. So many airlines are um, outsourcing their maintenance to foreign maintenance operations, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now, I'm sure they do a great job, but there's the question of oversight again. And under current regulations, if an FAA inspector wants to go inspect that work, they have to get permission, and they don't always get permission because of budget. But assuming they do get permission, and here's where it gets me crazy, Captain, they have to then let that operation know with a seven-day notice that they're coming. That's like asking the health department to give the restaurant a seven-day notice that they're going to inspect the kitchen. That doesn't seem to be a proper way to go. Right. It's crazy, and it must be changed. I know. So let's talk about uh, the A350 incident in Japan. Uh, I was amazed as I'm sure you were in a very pleasant way, that everybody was able to get out of that plane with literally half the exits blocked. It's a very uh, uh, wonderful outcome and one that might not have been expected given the circumstances. I think it's a testament to the performance of the flight crew and of the passengers on that flight. You know, my message is for everyone who flies, to pay attention to the flight attendant safety demonstration, even if you've seen it before, even if you heard it many times, to know where the exits are, how they operate, and when an event does occur, to comply with the flight attendant directions. Um, And that's what, in this case, I think, really helped to save a lot of lives. It it seems to have been a very well-trained crew that had the discipline in a a very sudden uh, extreme emergency of a lifetime to be able to follow the procedures, to, uh, to shout their commands to the passengers through uh, megaphones when the PA didn't work, and the, the passengers complied. They listened. They stayed in their seats with their seatbelt fastened until they were ordered to evacuate, and apparently it, it went 
you know, really pretty well. It took a while. It took a lot longer than the, the certification standards uh, require airlines to be able to demonstrate um, evacuations in. But unfortunately, because the, the fire did not reach the cabin until the evacuation was complete, it was successful. It, we were fortunate because of the circumstances of this, of this crash. Of course, next time, the circumstances might be worse. Exactly. And, you know, every airline is required to comply with a rule that says they can evacuate a fully loaded plane with half the exits blocked in the dark in less than 90 seconds. And I've always argued that the airlines seem to pass these tests all the time because I think they hire the cast of Cirque du Soleil. Um, is that 90 second rule actually possible? I think in the real world is not. Uh, and I, I think that the Certification tests need to be completely revamped and in every way take into account real-world conditions. You know, they, they can't all be young, fit, able-bodied people, um, and they can't be you know, allowed to, uh, to practice many times before the demonstration actually is, is for the record. Um, I think they need to take a lot more uh, regular people of, of varied ages and sizes and abilities um, and then if there's a way to do it safely without them incurring their own injuries to see how long it really takes in more of a real world situation. And if that cannot be done uh, completely uh, physically in real life, then they need to do a lot better at the simulations and, and, and set conditions for the simulations that would absolutely reflect the reality of every day. You know, with you know, person, people trying to take personal belongings with them, as always happens in this country. So I think that's one of the things that did not happen, as far as I could tell, at least not very much, with the Japan Airlines evacuation. And I think that may be due to cultural differences. Um, it's, um, I think we have to acknowledge that people in the West, and particularly the United States, might not have been uh, as compliant with directions and might not have had as much um, pol polite or collaborative or cooperative behavior. Let me put it that way. I agree. My thanks to the captain. And it's still kind of hard to believe it's been 15 years. This week marks not just the inauguration of the new Silver Nova, but the biggest cruise ship in the world, the icon of the seas. Is this truly a game changer? And what does it represent in terms of the cruise industry itself? Jason Liberty, the CEO of the Royal Caribbean Group, has his own take on this. Jason, welcome. Well, th well, thank you for having me. Great to be here. Well, thank you for having me. This is your ship. <laughs> when we take a look back, uh, let's say three or four years ago, immediately prior to COVID and during COVID, what a lot of people forget is that while travel was sort of interrupted in a very big way, the shipyards were still busy. They were still making, you know, building ships of every size and pedigree, including this one. Well, that's exactly right. Um, you know, when we, you know, our our dreaming of what the future of cruising would, would look and feel like, and of course, that's very much here represented in the Silver Nova, um, started about five years ago. So we ordered this ship uh, four and a half, five years ago, um, for it to be delivered um, here, uh, you know, this year. And so that dreaming took place. We put those ship orders in, and those ship those shipbuilders continued to build ships through COVID. By the way, I mentioned Royal Caribbean Group. You've got another ship coming out momentarily. 
Well, yeah, that's right. So we 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 uh, we, we named Silvernova today, um, and in a few weeks we're going to name Icon of the Seas, uh, which is uh, for the Royal Caribbean International brand. And we're very excited to show all of her wonders. A slightly larger ship. Yeah, slightly larger. It's like how much larger? Yeah, it's probably in in terms of like uh, size wise, it's probably about four and a half times the size of Silvernova. That's hard, it's almost hard to comprehend. Uh, it's hard to comprehend, but you know, for that for that market, for the contemporary market, multi generational family, um, this ship really caters to multi generations. Um, and so, whether you're three years old, whether you're 15 years old, or whether you're 65 or 70 years old, um, the ability to have a multi generational family experience um, where everybody can go out and enjoy the experiences that they seek and then come back together as a family unit uh, will certainly be uh, overly delivered, I think, on Icon of the Seas. If you look at the numbers, and you just looked at the numbers, they're staggering, right? If you had the passenger load and the number of crew, what, what, what number do you come up with? Well, you would, if you added those numbers together, you'd be slightly above 10,000 uh, um, people on Icon of the Seas. That's a small city. It's a small city, and these are really small cities that have um, incredible entertainment um, activities for everybody to do. And when you look at the public space per person, it's actually in that contemporary space at the, at the, at the very high um, end of that. And that's what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're able to deliver all these different activities and experiences, making sure that there's enough public space in the environment so that there's no queues, that everybody's able to enjoy the experiences in real time. I mean, there's a real science to this now because you've got to study human movement. You've got to study time, speed, um, other obstacles in their way that might be architecturally an impediment. You had to really figure this one out. Yeah. Well, first off, we're, we're always grounded in consumer research. We very much understand what the customer of today and the customer of tomorrow looks, uh, is looking for. But the other thing is, is, you know, we've been doing this quite a long time. We've got 50 plus years of experience um, delivering, you know, the best vacations in the world. And we use those experiences um, plus new learnings um, or new um, um, technologies in the naval architectural world to be able to continue to enhance and bring the very best to our guests. But your ships now are the biggest. Well, our ships have been the biggest, and they will continue to be the biggest here as Icon of the Seas comes on. You know, your predecessor, Richard Fain, and I used to joke. I was the one joking. He was the one who got mad at me. I, I was like, you know, you're building ships that are so large, they got a high crime area on board. I mean, I mean, it's like, you, you know, I'm looking for the sheriff, and I'm looking for, but you figured out space. Well, that's exactly right. And, and you know, Richard, of course, an incredible visionary um, in this space. I, I call him, he's, he's kind of the goat um, of the shipbuilding world. Um, and that, combined with our incredible new building teams, have really kind of figured out um, how we really tune into um, the experiences and the and the spaces that we need in order to you know to go out and deliver our mission of delivering the best vacations in the world. You know, when you talk about bells and whistles on a ship, I think what you guys actually perfected in doing is making the ship itself a destination. Well, that, well, that's right. So you know, for, you know, for sure, for the number one thing that our guests are interested in is destination. Where is the ship going to go? And we want to make sure that the experience on the ship lives up to, and in many cases exceeds the experience that they can have on land. And that's really, as we look about how do we go out and deliver the best vacations in the world, we want to make sure those activities and experiences are also located on the ship. Well, funny you should mention that because so many people I talk to who have taken your bigger ships, I asked them where they went, and all they talked about was the ship, right? So the, the destination that was in the brochure almost became incidental to the experience they had on the ship. Well, but the first thing that's, that, that typically um, connects in a consumer's mind is the dreaming. So where am I going to go? They sometimes don't realize that what's going to take them there could be better 
um, and usually is better than the experience of what they're actually going to do when they get to the destination. Um, and, and of course, if you're our loyal guest, you understand um, the experience that you're going to have on the ship. But the dreaming starts off with where do we want to go? And then, of course, they want to make sure in their flight to quality that they're going on on that experience in these different segments, whether it's with our ultra luxury here today with Silver Nova, or whether that's on the contemporary space with, with Icon of the Seas coming out, or whether that's with Celebrity Ascent on the celebrity side, on the premium side. You know, when you talk about bells and whistles on a ship, we live in a world of experiential one-upsmanship. So when you're sitting in your conference room and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Jason, why don't we have a roller coaster? Why don't we, have, why don't we launch missiles? I mean, I mean, is there something you actually turn down Oh, all the time. I mean, first off, we, we, we first need to understand how would we operationalize it. Um, so we, we can think about the dreaming. And sometimes the, that operationalizing can't happen on this ship or this class of ship. We might need advancements in naval architecture, advancements in technology to be able to make sure that we can deliver that experience every single day, every minute of every single day in a consistent manner. Um, but there's always ideas. Um, what, was, what was the craziest one you said not even close? Um, well, I think I think the one that was out there was was the blimp. Uh, we were thinking about blimp. We were thinking about having a blimp um, on on one of the ships, and where you would you know you, you know just like you would you know, um, um, you get on a water slide, you could get on the blimp and 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 you were able to uh, as the ship was moving be on a blimp another 500 600 feet um, above the ship, and uh, that was something that we actually tested, um, but we realized we could not consistently operationalize that, especially with the winds, and we decided not to do it. So it didn't fly. It did not fly. All right, so the blimp was 86th. That was 86. Okay. But, I mean, was there one that somebody said, you can never do this, and you said, no, we're going to make it work, and you made it work? Well, I think what you're going to see here on Icon, which is the Aquadome, um, which is, you know, this the, this amazing aqua theater entertainment space sitting on on, on uh, at the very top of the ship, nobody thought that we were actually one be able to build a dome of that size, um, or would we actually be able to have water placement at, at, at that high on the ship as the ship was moving? And I think... People are going to be absolutely wowed uh, when they see that we were able to to to, uh, to transform that space and make that space something that nobody has ever seen before. Of course, when you talk about height, I'm reminded of Jeff Bezos' attempt to build his own yacht. They forgot when they built the yacht that it couldn't fit under the bridge, right? So you have to take that into consideration too. The Verrazano Narrows Bridge is not going to move for you. Well, well, that's exactly right. I mean, first off, I mean, as we're designing ships, as we're, as we're even in the dreaming state, you know, we have the best experts in the world, whether it's from, from ports to F&B, um, whether it's to the naval architectural side. So we're thinking all the way through where are these ships going to go and what are the capabilities as well as the dimensions that are needed and able to be able to support that ship um, in its operation. But you have to think about, you have to think about all those elements uh, before you make a multi-billion dollar decision. Of course, for the old Panama Canal, the Icon of Seas couldn't make it through. How about the new Panama Canal? Um, I, I, I still think even in the new Panama Canal, there's, there's limitations. Um, so our expectation is not to take Icon um, you know, through, you know, through that space. Um, but we have plenty of ships that can uh, take people on their journey through the Panama Canal. Is there a place that, you know, when you take a look at going back to the days of the love boat, right? There were maybe seven ports of call, right? There was Nassau, maybe the Mexican Riviera, had Alaska, right? Now you're over 1,200. Well, that's well, that's right. So you know, over time, you know, cruising as an experience, as as it, as taking you to all these incredible destinations around the world, also enabled a lot of countries and destinations to build the proper ports to be able to support the cruise industry, as well as to build out the experiences to share their culture, um, their culinary experience, etc., on land, um, which is which is what really our, our customers go out and seek. 
Um, so you're right. So we went from a few a handful of ports to now we go to over a thousand different destinations and and uh, you know pretty much whatever a customer dreams of doing, we're able to deliver them on one of our three brands. Of course, you also have the ability to move your assets. You know that hotels can't do that when you have a situation in the Suez Canal or you have a situation in the Middle East or 9/11. You could reposition your ships. Hotels can't do that. Well, definitely one of the advantages of the cruise industry is, is our, our assets do float, so they do move. Um, and, and of course, you know, we're a global business. We source globally. We talked about the 1,200 destinations we go to. So our ability, our nimbleness is exceptionally high um, for, for our business in the travel space. Jason, when we see what's happening in ports like Amsterdam or Barcelona or Bermuda or even in Venice, right? You have to adapt to that as well. Oh, absolutely. And of course, a lot of the volumes that you see in a lot of these destinations is not really cruise. It's Airbnb, it's VBROs. There's a lot of additional um demand activities that are that are drawing people into those city centers. But we do have to react. I mean, one of those ways is we're continuing to diversify the destinations that we go to. We talked a little bit earlier that you know, this industry you know, started off going to a handful of ports, and now we go to over 1,200 different ports around the world. So you can pivot. You can pivot. Flexibility of our model allows us to pivot. Um, we're also investing more in destinations, like what we have here in the Bahamas at perfect, the perfect day um, at Coco Cay, where you know, instead of going to the same city centers, we're, all, we're also able to get those guests to go to different locations. And that's what we have to do. We have to continue to innovate, and we need to continue to, to diversify the places that we go to take off some of that pressure um, in some of those city centers. And of course, that pressure is still there. In Venice, if the bridge of size becomes the bridge of thighs, you've got a problem, right? And in Santorini, I was cruising last summer. I wouldn't get off the ship because if you walked into Santorini, you were elbow to elbow, you couldn't move. Yeah. That wasn't because of the cruise lines. That was because of everybody else who was there. Well, that's right. And that's why I think it's it's a, it's a broader tourism challenge um, for everybody. And I think that comes from us being able to identify and continue to, to diversify, build ports in other locations around the world, build more destinations. And also even in those city centers, how do we expand the overall destination offering so that they're not going to the same locations that everybody else is going to? And if you take a look at the ports of call that Silver Sea goes to, you're going to ports of call that most people can't even find on a map or never thought about. It's not on everybody's bucket list, but my bucket list is all the places I haven't been to, so it's perfect for me. I mean, how many people sail to Bangladesh? Silversea does. And before the whole situation happened in the Ukraine, you had the Russian Far East, right? You also have the Kimberleys in, in, in Northwest Australia. And for those people who've never been there, that's got to be on everybody's bucket list. Yeah, I, well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, the Silver Sea brand is really about destination immersion being delivered in an ultra luxury way. And because the ships are smaller, they're able to go to more unique destinations around the world. And, and we help our guests dream about where they can go. And and so that it's also when they can go. So are you are you adjusting your schedule so that you're not in the port with seven other ships at the same time? Well, that's it. That's absolutely right. But also, it's, it's not just about showing up at the same port when other ships are. Silver Sea is able to go to the destinations that might be a port or two away that are much smaller ports to those that the smaller ship or the, the lower volume of, of guests are able to take you to. And what they're able to do is go into those destinations and connect the destination to the ship. So the immersion activity not only takes place on you know, going through the spice markets of a destination, but bringing those spice markets onto the ship for your culinary experience. And that is an example of some of the uniqueness of Silver Sea. You know, the traditional cruise is you get in there at seven in the morning, you grab a t-shirt and one pina colada and you're out at four in the afternoon. But these ships at Silver and, and a number of cruise lines now are doing overnights. Yeah, well, I, I think that the, it starts off with the, the consumer has has evolved over time. Right. It used to be the city tour, as you said, the T-shirt, the pina colada. And today, really, what they- Are there pictures of you with a pina colada and a T-shirt? Yeah, there is. There is. Just double checking. For sure there is. I'll, I'll have to share them at some point in my life. No, you won't. I know. I know. But 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 really what's happened is, is the guest is really looking for a story to walk away with. 
They want experiences. They want to gather experiences. They want to share experiences. They want to share those experiences in social media. And so they want to create FOMO um, for their friends and family. They want bragging rights. They want bragging rights. And and so you know that that's why whether the experience on the ships or the experiences on land have really evolved to try to get to a place where you're you're hitting the sites that you want to, but you're you're walking away with the stories um, that are meaningful to you. So you're going from necessarily a tour guide approach to a storytelling approach. That's exactly right. That's a that's a great way of putting it. And now you have 1,200 stories to tell with 1,200 ports. Yeah, and 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 that's that's where the yeah, it's not just about the number; it's also the quality of the experience in themselves. And the Silver Sea team and our other brands just do an exceptional job making sure that the destination experience really matches the marketing of of, of what we talk about and what we show in the in the offering. And that requires a tremendous amount of work um, to be able to do that and do that really well. And and then there's the engineering aspect of it, right? You're cutting edge. You have to be sustainable, right? New fuel sources. New, co- new, basically propulsion units. That's what this ship is. Yeah. So you know, our journey is very clear, right? Our mission is very clear to get to a net zero position by 2050. In order to do that, you just don't wake up one day and and wish for that to happen. You have to continue to advance the technologies. And for us, and this is a great example here on Silver Nova, um, whether it's with LNG or whether it's preparing itself for fuel cells, etc., is being in a place to advance the technology and be ready to take on alternative fuels as they as they avail themselves to us. But this is a ship that's particularly designed to be able to accept that. Well, well, that's right, and 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 our, our goal here is 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 to be able is to put engines and technology and fuel tanks, etc. You know, to be in a position um, with with small modifications to be able to take on alternative energy, and also to advance the technology that lessens the consumption of different fuels, um, um, so that we can continue to reduce our our uh, our footprint. Now you talk about dreamers, and you talk about bucket lists. Where's yours? Well, I just fulfilled uh, one of my bucket list items, which was going to Iceland. Um, so so next on my list is is to go to Antarctica. Um, unfortunately, Silver Sea uh, just. By coincidence, you have ships that go there. Just by coincidence. Uh, and that's the great part about my job for being in this business, especially owning these three incredible brands. If I dream about it, it's most likely that one of our brands will be able to take me there. Or your kids will never talk to you again. That's, well, well, that's right. right. That's, I, well, I, I, think that's, I think that's exactly I got to keep creating experiences for them and make sure you know, that, uh, that they're dreaming about what they want to do in life. Yeah, there's just one thing I have to share with you. Yep. When you get down there, as cute as the penguins look, they stink. Okay, well, that's good to know. I'll, I'll, I'm preparing you. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to train my... Uh, my, uh, my sense is uh, to, uh, to, you know, to not uh, take that on too hard. The bottom line is you have that choice. Well, that's exactly right. And I think that's, you know, when we think about modern cruising, when we think about what we wake up and try to do every day, which is to go out and deliver those best vacation experiences, we have to be tuned in to what those experiences are. And then we need to figure out how we operationalize that and deliver it so that our guests walk away, walk away with the memories that uh, they were hoping to. My thanks to Jason. Speaking of Game Changer, the new Silver Sea Silver Nova is state-of-the-art in terms of technology, sustainability, not to mention design and service. It took five years to build her, and Barbara Muckerman, the president of Silver Sea, was with the ship every step of the way. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. 
personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. Barbara Muckerman. Peter, thank you for having me. So this is the 12th ship in the fleet. Uh, The line is now 30 years old. This is the biggest ship in the fleet, the first of its class. What's different about this ship? Because, and the reason why I'm asking that is during the pandemic, you know, a lot of people weren't traveling, but the shipyards were busy. Uh, They were turning out ships of every size and pedigree, including this one. This one took five years, right? People have to realize that it just didn't happen overnight. But what did you build into this ship going into it, knowing that it was gonna be different and cutting edge? So first of all, I would say Silvers is 30 years young. So as the brand leader in its category, we keep innovating. And Nova is really part of that brand vision that brings off continuous innovation to improve the guest experience even more. So the most important change strategically for Silver Sea has been that when we were a very small company with just four ships, our ships needed to go everywhere in the world to be able to offer these amazing destinations. But now with 12 ships, we can have the absolute best destination for each single ship and matching them together. So, for example, if you're looking at our latest ship, Silver Origin is built especially for the Galapagos. Silver Endeavor is the perfect polar ship and Silver Nova is the most incredible ship for, let's say, more traditional cruising, Caribbean, North Europe, Alaska, Mediterranean, because you have this amazing light coming in. The ship has over 4,000 square meters of uh, footage of glass. So the light is everything. Yes. But in terms of what it's capable of doing, right, uh, you know, your ships have always prided themselves and the line has prided itself as to be able to go to not just the the traditional ports, right? You're going, at one point you're going to the Russian Far East, the Kimberleys uh, in Northwest Australia, uh, Bangladesh, I mean, unbelievable places. Yes, Silver Nova is the most sustainable of the, of the ship of the fleet. So as such, because of all of the different fuels that she can use, she really can reach every corner of the world. And also, she has an amazing new tendering system for which she can be a drop anchor in these super small ports. We're in Key West today, and it is incredibly beautiful because we are the only ship here. It's very, very quiet. And she will continue to reach the most remote corners in the world like the rest of our fleet. And you've got all the latest gadgets on board. Yes, lots of gadgets. Uh, So the ship not only has the most incredible sustainable package, but she has nine restaurants, including the Sea and Land Taste Experience, which was really brought to a complete new level. So as you like, no, Silver Sea likes to use food really as the lens of culture to understand better the destinations we visit. On this ship, you have Salt Kitchen, which is a restaurant that changes menu daily, Salt Bar, changing drinks. changes menu daily based on where you are. Yes. So tonight, key lime pie, for sure. And then, of course, there is the most beautiful test kitchen in the whole world, which is the Salt Lab, which is this incredible space open to the ocean where you can teach and learn how to play with the food, but also at night you can have an incredible experience with, with Chef's Table. In the cruise industry as a whole, 
uh, you've seen dramatic growth in spite of COVID. Uh, you know, everybody talks about revenge travel, but when the cruise ships came back, remember, we remember the you know Centers for Disease Control and the moratorium, you, it all came to a halt. It seems like 100 years ago, but it wasn't that long ago. And now everybody's back. I mean, are you seeing those numbers go way up? So demand for, for cruising is still very, very strong. In general, for the luxury travel, I would say, keeps being very strong. Silver Sea took five ships in a little over two years, and we are sailing pretty full. So the, the 2024 looks really good. In terms of service, I mean, let's, let's be honest about the experience on this ship. It's not just a cabin. It's a butler. It's not just a cabin. It's a suite. It's, right... Are there any inside cabins on this ship? Absolutely not. Every single suite on this ship has a balcony. Not to mention floor-to-ceiling windows, too. I mean, it's crazy. Of course. There has never been a ship that has more glass than Silver Nova. So you have to dock it very carefully. Yeah, and <laughs> of course. And look at the elevators. This is the only ship that has all elevators glass-facing towards the water. It's nice. Yes, it's very uh, nice. I have to make an admission. Going up and down the elevator today, I forgot to get off. <laughs> Happened to me as well. I'm sure. I was like, this is cool. And I went, wait a minute, where am I? I'm in an elevator. <laughs> I, I'm not making that up. What's your biggest challenge? I would say the biggest challenge next year is going to make sure that uh, Americans remain focused on traveling and don't get distracted with everything else that w will go on. Because remember, in an election year, people don't tend to travel as much, especially in this election year, whether you're red or blue, yeah. it's crazy. Uh, and people tend to stay home a lot. Yeah, I think this this will be a challenge potentially for the industry. The great thing is that many people will just want to go away and we have some of the best destinations in the world to offer to them. <laughs> There's marketing for you. Forget the election, run! Yes. Uh, but then, of course, you have the other events around the world that have an impact. Gaza, the West Bank, what's going on in the Middle East right now, the Suez Canal, that's that's basically closing off a lot. Yes, and actually one thing that uh, we are very worried about as a brand is that the world became smaller. I mean, we're both old enough to remember when the Mediterranean was a really large optionality of destinations with North Africa, Silver Sea used to travel to Libya. There were so many more destinations open. Then because of the horrible conflict in Ukraine, of course, the whole of Russia got closed. The Black Sea got closed, you know, St. Petersburg got closed, and of course Russian Far East that you were saying so we started shrinking from the Med and now we're shrinking with Russia and of course with the horrible Israeli conflict uh, it's shrinking even more losing the whole of the Middle East and, it, and by the way it's not just Israel it's, it's the Med yes right the Eastern Med. Yeah, the good thing is that the Med is still considered secure, Northern Med, by, by the guests. We don't see impacts in demand for cruising in Spain, cruising in Italy, cruising in Greece. That keeps going really, really well. But right now, I wouldn't necessarily increase my deployment in the Middle East. But the nice thing about having a cruise line is you can move your assets. Yes, that's a huge advantage compared to our partner hotels. Right, you can literally reposition. Yes, which we are. I mean, we've changed uh, significantly our 2024 itineraries to make sure to go as quickly as possible through the Middle East with just when the ships need to reposition. And that's it. Yes. Is there one destination that's happening now in terms of passenger demand that's surprising you? We've seen a very strong Alaska uh, so that's also partially maybe for a more domestic focus with everything that's happening around the world. 
Mediterranean keeps being incredibly strong. Typically, January, February, you see everybody thinking about their summer vacation. And so they will start uh, booking MED, and MED is going really strong, as is North Europe. And we saw so many new, new cruise lines come out, right? At, at the very moment where other cruise lines were retiring their ships early, taking them to the scrappers. I remember those terrible videos that I was watching back in 2020 and 2021 of, of these ships being grounded in Turkey and these ships being grounded in, in other parts of the world just to be scrapped uh, way before their uh, useful life was supposed to be ended, right? Yeah. But a ship like this, the Silver Nova, this can sail for 20 or 30 years. Oh, yeah, and probably even more. I mean, she's uh, built with the uh, cutting-edge technology. And honestly, we I believe that a ship like this one will really, really run over 25 years and probably even reach 30, 35. Wow. Now, most cruise lines don't keep those ships 30, 35 years. Well, it always depends, you know, how, how, they, how they look. I mean, we are now 30 years, the Silver Cloud. Will this year also celebrate 30 years? And she's doing amazingly well, offering an incredible experience in Antarctica. <laughs> By the way, Antarctica has exploded. Yes. Everybody, it's, it's talk about bucket list on speed. Everybody wants to go. Yes, but not everybody has uh, the time to do the drag. So we are seeing a huge demand peak uh, in our fly and cruise program in which we yeah, charter... created the, an air bridge. Exactly. And we've done it together, you know, in which you fly with a private charter plane straight to Antarctica, which really allows you to avoid the drag passage. My thanks to Barbara. All this leads to trying to figure out a new, perhaps more appropriate definition of luxury itself when it comes to travel. For that, I'm joined by one of my fellow passengers on the ship, the travel editor of Town & Country magazine, Clara Glovcheska. Clara Glovcheska. I got the name right. I've known Clara for how many years? <laughs> at least 20. At least 25. 20. Going yeah. back to our days, actually, at Condé Nast Traveler. Exactly. As a matter of fact. Well, welcome aboard the ship. I guess the question becomes, and we were talking about this earlier, I mean, in the year 2024, can we really come up with a definition that makes sense for luxury travel? Yeah, it's it's something I think about a lot as editor um, of Condé Nast Traveler previously, and now the travel editor of Tad and Country, um, with its you know well-to-do audience, so luxury sort of... What, what I cover and what I think about. and Not I a bad beat, by the way. Not a bad beat, an excellent beat. I think that there is a big definition, a change in the definition of luxury. In my mind, when, when we started way back when, you know, it, it meant in hotels, marble bathrooms and gold-plated faucets. It meant... Um, it was materials. It was materials. And it was, it was materials and there was a formality to it. Life was formal in the luxury sphere, I always feel. It was about correctness. It was about doing things comme il faut, you know. And that has really changed. And I've been thinking a lot about that on this cruise in particular, because here we have Silver Sea Nova, which is, you know, one of the top luxury lines, if not the top. Um, and this is their brand new ship, sort of the the, the penultimate. And it's it has a very different feel. Things are just more relaxed. You know, I see people... Even in the way uh, travelers behave, there some of them are in the in a tux in the evening. Not many, but it's it's always optional. You can if you want to dress up and you get a kick out of it, you dress up. If you don't want to dress up, it's absolutely optional. And I see people run the gamut at dinner, for instance, which is really refreshing. Um, you know, the the ship looks different. It's 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 a contemporary looking it's it's not it's there's nothing fussy about it it's sort of n neutral colors it's chic 
It's not know? fluffy and frilly. It's not fluffy and frilly at all. Yeah. It's uh, luxury can also be defined as being functional too. Exactly, e- and everything is super functional. Like I've been analyzing my cabin and how it works, and it's like this perfect little cocoon. This cabin. I don't even have one of the top suites. I just have a really nice middle of the, you know, ladder suite, and it's it's wonderful. Everything is just perfectly designed. The way the door shut, the way the sound works, where the garbage cans are, how nothing slides around, everything. Where the light switches are, where you can plug in all your devices, it's all perfect. All right, can I talk about yeah. light switches? Yes, and my, 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 my pet, pet peeve. peeve. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I don't need to have a tutorial every time I check into a hotel or a cruise line. It makes me insane. Yeah. It makes me insane. And also, like crawling around to find to find the outlet which still happens and it still happens like even in hotels newly renovated hotels you're often on your hands and knees still not good not a good look i'm actually convinced (laughs) i hope i'm not angering a lot of people but i'm actually convinced that most people who design hotels have never spent the night in one because it would be (laughs) obvious to them from day one on three things Light switches and thermostats. Mm-hmm. I don't know, four things. Yes. Light switches, thermostats, TV remote controls, yes. and lighting itself. Yes. Right? I mean, the light switches, I can't spend an hour trying to figure out how to turn it off and turn it on. Right. Then, <laughs> then the thermostat, come on, how about, you know, when I built a house, and I've only done it once, don't want to do it ever again. Mm. But when I did it, the contractor was telling me, wow, we got the, the state-of-the-art mm. heating and air conditioning system for you, and you can adjust this and program it eight days out. I said, hold on. Go to a, a used hardware store and get me the old round honey oil switch mm-hmm. on and off. off. <laughs> and they look at me like, really? I said, oh, this is not negotiable. Yeah, and that's what totally. I put in my house. And guess totally. what? I understand it, right? TV and remote control. You better get there 20 minutes early before your favorite show because you have to figure out how to use the remote control. Absolutely. And then last but not least, the lighting in the room. We can also go beyond that to the lighting in the bathroom. Yes. Because every one of my women friends is always complaining there's not enough light for makeup. Yes. Or there's not enough shelf space for all the crap you guys bring with you. Okay? Yes. I mean, there's such a rescue case trying to to figure out. I I don't like your choice of words. Fine. All the uh, all the uh, necessary items, the items. necessary <laughs> items we bring with us. But you understand the point. I totally understand um, your point. And and then of course the lighting itself. Every hotel designer thinks they're going to win points with me by by trapping me with mood lighting. Right. Right. I want to be able to read in my room. Right. I want to be able to think in my room. Right. I want to have, have the option. That's luxury the, when you have options. Sure. To be able to see if I want to be bright or moody. Yeah. If you trap me with mood lighting, you put me in a very bad right. mood. Well, on this ship, I have to say, it, it, it has, you can go from mood lighting to very bright plus, easily. Plus, you've got I've, all the glass. Plus all the glass. My and goodness, that, there's if, lots if, of natural if, light. If, yeah. Unless you're Dracula. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, the point is, yeah. you want the light, and boy, you get the light. Yeah. So, I just would like to add something that's non-light um, switch. Yeah. Related, um, which for me is like the, the big thing about, if we're talking about cruising, sure. since you're on a ship right now. Um, I, I, what I'm most excited about in the, in the cruise sphere is that combination of uh, adventurous environments and luxury on board. The fact that you can go to the most extreme places in the world, like Antarctica or the Arctic or the Amazon or, you know, around Greenland. And, y- and then you are back on board and it is fine dining, 
in all kinds of ways. I mean, it's incredibly comfortable rooms. It is such a juxtaposition. It is almost shocking. Kayaking in the glaciers, kayaking in the middle of icebergs, and an hour later, strawberries. Exactly. You know, it's it's mind blowing. It really, it's really mind blowing. And I think that is actually the great sort of achievement of the of the of the cruise industry these days. They've been able to do the way they have evolved to to be able to do this. That you have absolute adventure and absolute luxury and comfort and all your creature comforts. And when you think about it, absolute adventure, it's on every different level. It's on every different level. I mean, you're not just doing thrill-seeking behavior, but you're getting out there. Exactly, yeah. It lets you be out there in a way that something has never been possible. I mean, it's it's, it's almost like a revolution in, in, in travel, I feel, that... I don't, not sure enough people realize just how incredible it is that you're able to do these things. But of course, I think you speak from personal experience. Once you do realize it, mm-hmm. you can't get enough of you it. You can't get enough of it, yeah. I was on a, a two week cruise in the Arctic in June around Greenland. And I thought two weeks, that's, you know, that was the, my, the only option. And I thought, how am I going to, how am I, what am I going to do for two weeks in the Arctic? And, it just flew by. I, I was so sorry to leave on my 14th day. I could have, you know, just waking up at 2 a.m. with the sun shining and the icebergs floating by. I mean, it's my. It's just an incredible experience, yeah. So, in terms of definition of luxury, yeah. it's evolved. Sure has. Sure has. And I, I'm very interested to, to sort of start reading the tea leaves to see what's next. You know, like, what is, what, what's next? Are we... I I mean, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine, but I'm sure there will be. My thanks to Clara, to Captain Sully Sullenberger, to Jason Liberty, and to Barbara Muckerman. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.